With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. The following broadcast is paid for by What's at Risk. This is What's at Risk with Mike Christian on WBZ, Boston's news radio. Hi, I'm Mike Christian, your host for What's at Risk. On tonight's edition, Dr. Sharon Saline speaks passionately about children living with ADHD, anxiety, and other learning differences. In our second segment, Bob Crawford, longtime bassist with the Avid Brothers, talks about his love of history and, in particular, his popular podcast, Founding Son, John Quincy's America. Dr. Sharon Saline maintains a busy psychotherapy practice working with children, teens, families, and adults with ADHD and other mental health issues. She has spoken and conducted workshops nationally and internationally on ADHD and the adolescent brain. She is also the author of What Your ADHD Child Wishes You Knew, Working Together to Empower Kids for Success in School and Life. With ADHD and other diagnoses on the rise, today's youth are experiencing chronic levels of anxiety and depression. It's more important than ever to make sure neurodivergent children feel supported and understood. Well, hello, everyone. We're here with Sharon Selene. She's an award-winning author and licensed clinical psychologist with over 30 years of experience. She's a top expert on ADHD, anxiety, learning differences, and mental health challenges. Sharon, how are you doing? I'm doing very well today. How are you? Great, great. It's really great to have you. Thank you for joining us. Um, maybe a good place to start would, would be just for you to tell us about your background and maybe your journey in life to this point and uh, what you're up to. Of course. Thank you for asking. And it is a real pleasure to be here. I'm a clinical psychologist and I have been drawn to um, working with people with ADHD for pretty much my whole career. And I didn't really understand why I was drawn to these people until um, my nephew was diagnosed with ADHD. And then his father, my brother, was diagnosed with ADHD. And then I started looking around at the family and I'm like, oh, okay, things are falling into place here. Um, these are, I am drawn to working with people with ADHD. They're smart, creative, funny, spontaneous. A lot of them have a theater background like I do, which is fun. But there's a way in which they are also hard on themselves and feel like people don't really understand how their brain works um, and struggle with having compassion for themselves uh, in, in having a neurodivergent brain. And so that's really why this work drew me 
And then there was a certain family familiarity to it. Maybe for the listeners and, and from your perspective as an expert, what exactly is ADHD and what are some of its causes? Oh, short question, long answer, right? Um, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a chronic condition that has to do with how a person regulates uh, their attention. Recently, what's been added to that has to do with their emotions and that their ability to manage their executive functioning skill deficits or weaknesses, which come along with having ADHD is frequently more uh, uh, severe than we see in neurotypical folks. And there are different types of ADHD. There's hyperactive, impulsive, there's inattentive, and then there's a combination, which is a combination of both. So there's a, a kind of a sense where um, for people with ADHD that they, they have this inconsistency in motivation, which is most frustrating to them. Um, because they can pay attention and be really interested and focused on something that just grabs them, that is compelling, uh, that they're passionate about, and then they're going to struggle with things that they don't have a lot of interest in. And so we know that interest fosters motivation, and this is part of the challenge of living with ADHD is the inconsistency in motivation and also the challenges with self-regulation. Is there a, a physical difference in the brains of people that have ADHD versus those that don't have it? That's a good question. You know, there is some research that indicates parts of the brains of people with ADHD are a little bit smaller. Um, and these areas have to do with, for example, the corpus callosum, which is the superhighway of the brain that connects the left and right hemispheres and has to do with sequencing and the integration of details the right side of the prefrontal cortex, so right above your right eyebrow, I guess, which has to do with managing emotions. And we've found that there are there can be like sometimes the volume of the brain might be a little bit smaller. And also the, the amygdala, the fight, flight, or freeze could be a little bit smaller. And the, uh, the memory uh, capacity might be a little bit smaller. So there are some biological issues that come with having ADHD, which is really important for people to understand when you're talking about ADHD, because a lot of people still think of it as laziness or something that's made up. And it's really been around in medical literature since the 1700s. Right. People had started to notice it. And if there's a physical difference, do young people you know, maybe grow out of it? Does the brain change over time as they mature? Or how, how does that all work? Well, what's interesting when we think about it is that it's not that the brain doesn't mature. It matures more slowly, up to about three years uh, delay in people with ADHD. And someone will ask, well, does that mean my brain isn't functioning? And my answer is no. It's just that the, the, it takes a little bit longer for the connections between the different regions of the brain to really fall into place. And if you have ADHD, uh, some of those connections, the, the communication between different areas of the brain is naturally a little bit weaker, particularly along what we call the dopamine pathway, which is a neurotransmitter that is involved in pleasure, reward, motivation, and norepinephrine, which is a, a neurotransmitter that's involved in sleep, alertness, focus, and things like that. And we hear a lot about neurodiversity and uh, those that whole spectrum of things. Is there a relationship between autism and ADHD? Excellent question. So 
actually neurodiversity is kind of to me it's like the um, overarching umbrella and mm-hmm. underneath that we have neurodivergence and neurotypical and this was a sort of laid out by a woman named Judy Singer in the late 90s. Neuro, neurotypical is um, are, are people who don't have any of the following generally um, autism, learning disabilities, ADHD, mental health issues, a physical disability, those kinds of things. And so there is a difference between neurodivergent brains and neurotypical brains. Uh, and one of the things that's challenging for somebody who has ADHD or is, or is on the autism spectrum or is a learning disability is what it's like to live in a world not designed for a neurodivergent brain. So about 50% of uh, children and teens whose primary diagnosis is on the autism spectrum have ADHD, uh, but only about 14% of kids whose primary diagnosis is ADHD have autism. And interestingly enough, researchers at the University of Pennsylvania found that uh, if a child's primary diagnosis is autism and their secondary diagnosis is ADHD, even if they don't meet the full criteria for ADHD, treating kids with ADHD medications who fit that profile improves their not just their abilities to focus and concentrate and attend, but it reduces some of the symptoms of autism. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard that before. You you mentioned the term executive function and maybe just for the listeners we might just define that a little bit and talk about how that's a part of ADHD and the part that's impacted by ADHD. Of course, I'd be happy to. And if you're not driving in your car, maybe take your hand and put it right on your forehead. Because behind your forehead is really the prefront is really what what is the command center of the brain that we call the prefrontal cortex. And executive functioning skills connect, prioritize, and integrate cognitive functions with emotions, with um, physical movement, and uh, moment by moment. And so what I like, the analogy I like to think about is, and I'm going to date myself here, imagine the Beatles are in the Abbey Road studio, John, Paul, Ringo, and George, and they're with their instruments, and they might have a guest or two playing extra percussion or something. Uh, And in the studio, we have the sound engineers. We have vocal engineers for each members of the band. We have engineers for each of the instruments that the members of the band are playing. We have engineers who are dealing with the overall tone, et cetera, et cetera. Those sound engineers are like the executive functioning skills in our brain. But instead of dealing with music, they're dealing with output related to organization, prioritizing, initiation, self-regulation, working memory, sustained attention, et cetera, et cetera. That's really interesting. You've you've written a book, maybe books, on giving advice to parents that have children that have ADHD. What is some of that advice that, that you've given through your books and through your lectures? Thank you so much for asking. Uh, my philosophy, I call it the five C's of ADHD um, approach. Uh, the five C's of ADHD are self-control. We adults need to manage ourselves first before we attempt to assist our kids in managing themselves. Um, When adults are dysregulated, it's very difficult 
for kids with ADHD and probably kids without it to stay regulated themselves. So we really want to manage ourselves and look at what is triggering us, but also what is triggering our kids. The second C is compassion, meeting kids where they are, not where we think they should be based on their age, their height, their weight, uh, what their <laughs> cognitive testing shows. Um, compassion is this, uh, this ability, not just for us to imagine what it's like to walk a day in the shoes of our kids, but also to treat ourselves with kindness because parenting kids with ADHD is very challenging. The third C is collaboration, which is working together with your child for solutions to problems. Uh, these are kids who spend a lot of time listening to what other people think they should be doing and in how they should be doing it. And they're not super keen on that because they feel like their brains and what makes sense to them, um, either of those issues is not being considered. And so we it really increase uh, the rate of participation and buy-in by including children um, and teens in coming up with solutions. So for example, what is the routine going to be when you get home from school? I can tell you what I think you need to do, but I actually would be more uh, I would be I would be better served, our family would be better served if I ask you, you know, what do you think would help us uh, you argue less when you get home from school and what is a routine that would make sense for your brain and if you're taking medication while the medication is still in your brain so that's collaboration uh, consistency is the fourth c and it's not about perfection it's about steadiness doing something more often than not and this is also about efforting for our our kids um, it's efforting is a word yes i made up but it's because for neurodivergent uh, folks trying is is usually occupies one aspect of how a person functions cognition emotion something physiological or physical for kids with adhd when attempting to do something it usually is efforting because it is involving all three of those aspects your mind your body and your emotions. And then the last C is celebration, which doesn't mean you bake a cake for your child because they clear the table, but it's about validating and noticing their efforts, even if they don't result in an, the accomplishment, but that they're trying. For example, I noticed that you tried really hard not to hit your sister when she was pinching you and kept pinching you and you told her to stop and she didn't and you told her to stop again and she didn't, and then you, you you hit her. So that was progress. I noticed that, I see that. And for a lot of these kids who hear many more negative comments than positive ones, their self-esteem is quite low. And so we want to reverse that process of, of really having predominantly negative comments by balancing it with some positive ones. I think a lot of that advice is good for any any kids, any parents raising any yes. kids, to be honest. Yes. I mean, it's hard enough raising children, whether they're living with ADHD or not living with ADHD. I've got two questions related to this. They have to be able to manage themselves and be mm -hmm. in a position sort of mentally and spiritually and physically to be able to to work with these young people that are maybe a little more challenged because of the ADHD. What advice do you give them for themselves, for their own self-care? If you're struggling to manage yourself, I encourage you to do three things. 
One, exercise. Exercise is good for everybody. It's particularly good for people with ADHD, whether you're nine or 59, because the endorphins in the brain really help balance um, the brain in some way that I don't fully understand because I'm not a, neuro, a, neuro, a neurologist, uh, but they're very good. And Dr. John Rady and Dr. Edward Hallowell have written a lot about the benefits of exercise. Um, the second thing would be to figure out what self-care is for you. You know, when you're triggered, what are you going to do to kind of settle and slow down? So, you know, what's a sign that you're triggered? Is it not in your stomach, tightness in your chest? Maybe you're clenching your jaw. And what's going to help you recalibrate? For a lot of parents, go to the bathroom, close the door, wash your hands, splash some water on yourself, look at yourself in the mirror and say something encouraging like, wow, this is one of those moments I wish I wasn't having, I'm, but I'm going to get through it because I get through it. And then the third thing is, don't be afraid, ask for help, find a therapist or a coach who understands ADHD and the challenges of parenting ADHD. We know from research that any that anywhere from 45 to maybe 55 or 57% of adults with ADHD have a child with ADHD. And sometimes what happens is the child gets diagnosed, Mike, and then the adult realizes, oh, this sounds like me too, right? So get support for yourself. Yeah, I was just I was just going to ask that question: Is ADHD hereditary? It obviously is, or that wouldn't you wouldn't have the stats you just referenced? It's the most inherited mental health condition. Yeah, so you often have parents living with ADHD caring for children living with ADHD, and the parents may or may not know it. In fact, right. I don't want to be shamelessly self-promoting, but here we go. I'm doing a <laughs> webinar. Uh, in a couple weeks, you can go to my website, www.drsharonceline.com, Parenting Kids with ADHD When You've Got It Yourself. So it would be something that'd be very useful for people. Um, what, what about the young people themselves? You just mentioned deficit framing that, oh, that kid's got ADHD or there's something wrong with them and they're looked at as something they're not defined by their positive attributes. Mm -hmm. They're defined by their by the fact that they have ADHD. How do you work with them or do you work with them to be able to reconcile how people perceive them with being able to function, I shouldn't say in a normal way, but just being able to function in a more peaceful way in their own lives? This is my mission in life, Mike. <laughs> I didn't realize so, that, but I'm glad I touched on mission. it. This is Maybe my mission. passionate about your answer I'm then. I'm very passionate. <laughs> This is my mission in life. People have many misconceptions about ADHD. And um, what happens is that these are kids who hear negative comments a lot. In fact, I will tell you, I've traveled all around the world. Um, and I'll ask them for every one positive comment, how many negatives do you think that you hear per day? And the answer is anywhere from five to 50 if they include what they tell themselves. This is tragic for me. Dr. John Gottman and his colleagues have found that the ideal positivity ratio in relationships should be five positives for one negative. So we are way out of balance here. I think it's important for people to understand that we are all uniquely wired and that one, one type of uh, of processing isn't better or worse than something else. It's just different. And one of my clients even says, and this is a quote in my book, 
I don't, you know, I don't like the word disability because it means you have an inability to do things. And I think that's not true. You always have an ability to do something, to try it. And so we want to work with kids to help them discover a talent, an interest, a passion, something that they feel really good about themselves doing so that then that part will grow and um, nurture a sense of self-esteem. And we have found that many, many people, particularly children uh, and teens who have ADHD or neurodivergent have what we call a negative mindset, a fixed mindset. And that means that this is who I am. I can't do things. It's not going to change. I, can't, I mean, I expect failure. That's what happens to me. And we want to nurture a growth mindset, right? That I actually can try something different and see what happens. It might work out great. I'll do it again. It may not work out. That's okay. That's part of being human. I'll regroup, get some help, and try it again. And this is why it is so important for us to nurture that kind of growth mindset in children, teens, and adults with ADHD, because there, there's often a lot of shame about being different that started as a child with those negative comments and has you know, continued through adulthood. And then that's great advice. I think you mentioned at the beginning about young people with ADHD, they may be more creative, they may be more focused on the arts and excel at the arts. There's very many places that they would excel because of ha having ADHD, frankly. How are you able to get young people to, to look at it from that perspective? And our society has to look at it that way too, because of this deficit framing that you were just talking about. Often it puts young people that are living with ADHD in a difficult position because they have to make a comeback from being viewed negatively to being presenting themselves with the assets that they have. But how, how do you think about that? I think that the fundamentals of a growth mindset uh, actually dovetail well with your question. A growth mindset includes islands of competency, areas where you feel like you know what you're doing and you do it well. So identifying what these are, nurturing them, and having, the, having kids themselves be able to feel pride in those aspects of themselves that could then be transferred in some way to the areas where they're struggling. The second aspect of a growth mindset is a charismatic adult. So this isn't Beyonce or Adam Sandler or anybody like that. This is actually a person you know who believes in you, who you feel safe with, who you feel understands your brain. Many kids with ADHD give up on themselves because either they receive messages from adults, I don't understand you, I don't know how to help you, and then they go a step further and say, I'm not worth helping, I'm unhelpable. Or they give up because they've encountered failure and they don't know how to uh, change how they approach things so that they're not expecting failure. It's a negative expectancy. And then, you know, the third aspect of a growth mindset is really being able to try things and see what happens and to understand that making mistakes is part of being human. I'm living and I'm learning. That's the mentality that we want. I want to leave you with one last question. Your your insights and your advice have been so uh, spot on, I think, in the topic that we've been talking about, ADHD. 
We're living in a very fragile time in the world, and there's a lot of anxiety, and that's an area that you focus in on all the time, mental health and anxiety. What about some tips for the rest of us in terms of how to get through this very difficult time that we're in? This is a very difficult time in the world, and anxiety is rampant for everybody. And so what we want to try to do is change our relationship to anxiety rather than trying to eradicate the anxiety. We're not going to eradicate the anxiety. It's partially how we're wired. It's it, it kept us safe through the millennia, right? But what we can do is change our relationship to anxiety. Anxiety says blah, 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 and you're not going to be able to handle it. What we want to do instead is to identify a goal. I want to do something. And so I'm willing to take a risk in this particular way. We want to talk back to that worry monster, that anxiety voice in our heads that says you can't handle it and say, actually, I can because I did it at this time. We have to recall incidents when we were successful, when we triumphed in in spite of fear or worry. It helps if we focus on controlling what we can control. Well, Sharon, thank you for your passionate insights and great advice to all of us. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. We'll be right back after the news at the bottom of the hour. 